Wessex Tales. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tig Hines. Fellow Townsmen by Thomas Hardy. Chapter Five. All had been done that could be done. Mrs. Barnet was in her own house under medical hands, but the result was still uncertain. Barnet had acted as if devotion to his wife were the dominant passion of his existence. There had been much to decide whether to attempt restoration of the apparently lifeless body as it lay on the shore, whether to carry her to the harbour inn, whether to drive with her at once to his own house. The first course, with no skilled help or appliances near at hand, had seemed hopeless. The second course would have occupied nearly as much time as a drive to the town, owing to the intervening ridges of shingle and the necessity of crossing the harbour by boat to get to the house added to which much time must have elapsed before the doctor could have arrived down there. By bringing her home in the carriage some precious moments had slipped by, but she had been laid in her own bed in seven minutes, a doctor called to her side, and every possible restorative brought to bear upon her. At what a tearing pace had he driven up that road, through the yellow evening sunlight, the shadows flapping irksomely into his eyes, as each wayside object rushed past between him and the west tired workmen with their baskets at their backs had turned on their homeward journey to wonder at his speed half-way between the shore and port breedy town he had met charlson who had been the first surgeon to hear of the accident he was accompanied by his assistant in a gig barnet had sent on the latter to the coast in case that down's poor wife should by that time have been reclaimed from the waves and had brought charlson back with him to the house Barnet's presence was not needed here, and he felt it to be his next duty to set off at once and find down, that no other than himself might break the news to him. He was quite sure that no chance had been lost for Mrs. Down by his leaving the shore. By the time that Mrs. Barnet had been laid in the carriage, a much larger group had assembled to lend assistance in finding her friend, rendering his own help superfluous. But the circumstance of breaking the news was made doubly painful by the circumstance that the catastrophe which had befallen Mrs. Down was solely the result of her own and her husband's loving kindness towards himself. He found Down in his office. When the solicitor comprehended the intelligence he turned pale, stood up, and remained for a moment perfectly still, as if bereft of his faculties. Then his shoulders heaved, he pulled out his handkerchief and began to cry like a child. His sobs might have been heard in the next room. He seemed to have no idea of going to the shore or of doing anything, but when Barnet took him gently by the hand and proposed to start at once, he quietly acquiesced, neither uttering any further word nor making any effort to repress his tears. Barnet accompanied him to the shore, where, finding that no trace had as yet been seen of Mrs. Down, and that his stay would be of no avail, he left Down with his friends and the young doctor and once more hastened back to his own house. At the door he met Charlson. "'Well,' said Barnet. "'I have just come down,' said the doctor. "'We have done everything, but without result. I sympathise with you in your bereavement.' Barnet did not much appreciate Charlson's sympathy, which sounded to his ear as something of a mockery from the lips of a man who knew what Charlson knew about their domestic relations. Indeed, there seemed an odd spark in Charlson's full black eye as he said the words, but that might have been imaginary. "'And Mr. Barnet,' Charlson resumed, "'that little matter between us. I hope to settle it finally in three weeks at least.' "'Never mind that now,' said Barnet abruptly. 
He directed the surgeon to go to the harbour in case his services might even now be necessary there, and himself entered the house. The servants were coming from his wife's chamber, looking helplessly at each other and at him. He passed them by and entered the room, where he stood mutely regarding the bed for a few minutes, after which he walked into his own dressing-room adjoining, and there paced up and down. In a minute or two he noticed what a strange and total silence had come over that upper part of the house. His own movements, muffled as they were by the carpet, seemed noisy, and his thoughts to disturb the air like articulate utterances. His eye glanced through the window. Far down the road to the harbour a roof detained his gaze. Out of it rose a red chimney, and out of the red chimney a curl of smoke, as from a fire newly kindled. He had often seen such a sight before. In that house lived Lucy Savile, and the smoke was from the fire which was regularly lighted at this time to make her tea. After that he went back into the bedroom, and stood there some time regarding his wife's silent form. She was a woman some years older than himself, but had not by any means overpassed the maturity of good looks and vigour. Her passionate features, well-defined, firm and statuesque in knife, were doubly so now. Her mouth and brow beneath her purplish-black hair showed only too clearly that the turbulency of character which had made a bear-garden of his house had been no temporary phase of her existence. While he reflected, he suddenly said to himself, "'I wonder if all has been done.' The thought was led up to by his having fancied that his wife's features lacked in its complete form the expression which he had been accustomed to associate with the faces of those whose spirits have fled for ever. The effacement of life was not so marked, but that entering uninformed he might have supposed her sleeping. Her complexion was that seen in the numerous faded portraits by Sir Joshua Reynolds. It was pallid in comparison with life, but there was visible on a close inspection the remnant of what had once been a flush, the keeping between the cheeks and the hollows of the face being thus preserved, although positive colour was gone. Long orange rays of evening sun stole in through chinks in the blind striking on the large mirror and being thence reflected upon the crimson hangings and woodwork of the heavy bedstead, so that the general tone of light was remarkably warm, and it was probable that something might be due to this circumstance. Still the fact impressed him as strange. Charleston had been gone more than a quarter of an hour. Could it be possible that he had left too soon, and that his attempts to restore her had operated so sluggishly as only now to have made themselves felt? Barnet laid his hand upon her chest, and fancied that ever and anon a faint flutter of palpitation, gentle as that of a butterfly's wing, disturbed the stillness there, ceasing for a time, then struggling to go on, then breaking down in weakness and ceasing again. Barnet's mother had been an active practitioner of the healing art among her poorer neighbours and her inspirations had all been derived from an octavo volume of domestic medicine, which at this moment was lying, as it had lain for many years, on a shelf in Barnet's dressing-room. He hastily fetched it, and there read, under the head, Drowning. Exertions for the recovery of any person who has not been immersed for a longer period than half an hour should be continued for at least four hours, as there have been many cases in which returning life has made itself visible even after a longer interval. Should, however, a weak action of any of the organs show itself, when the case seems almost hopeless, our efforts must be redoubled. The feeble spark in this case requires to be solicited. It will certainly disappear under a relaxation of labour. Barnet looked at his watch. 
it was now barely two hours and a half from the time when he had first heard of the accident. He threw aside the book and turned quickly to reach a stimulant which had been previously used. Pulling up the blind for more light, his eye glanced out of the window. There he saw that red chimney still smoking cheerily, and that roof, and through the roof that somebody. His mechanical movement stopped, his hand remained on the blind cord, and he seemed to become breathless, as if he had suddenly found himself treading a high rope. While he stood a sparrow lighted on the window-sill, saw him, and flew away. Next a man and a dog walked over one of the green hills which bulged above the roofs of the town, but Barnet took no notice. We may wonder what were the exact images that passed through his mind during those minutes of gazing upon Lucy Savile's house, the sparrow, the man and the dog, and Lucy Savile's house again. There are honest men who will not admit to their thoughts, even as idle hypotheses, views of the future that assume as done a deed which they would recoil from doing. And there are other honest men for whom morality ends at the surface of their own heads, who will deliberate what the first will not so much as suppose. Barnet had a wife whose presence distracted his home. She now lay as in death. By merely doing nothing, by letting the intelligence which had gone forth to the world lie undisturbed, he would effect such a deliverance for himself as he had never hoped for, and open up an opportunity of which till now he had never dreamed. Whether the conjecture had arisen through any unscrupulous, ill-considered impulse of Charlson, to help out of a strait the friend who was so kind as never to press him for what he was due, could not be told. There was nothing to prove it, and it was a question which could never be asked. The triangular situation—himself, his wife, Lucy Savile, was the one clear thing. From Barnet's actions we may infer that he supposed such and such a result, for a moment, but did not deliberate. He withdrew his hazel eyes from the scene without, calmly turned, rang the bell for assistance, and vigorously exerted himself to learn if life still lingered in that motionless frame. In a short time another surgeon was in attendance, and then Barnet's surmise proved to be true. The slow life timidly heaved again, but much care and patience were needed to catch and retain it, and a considerable period elapsed before it could be said with certainty that Mrs. Barnet lived. When this was the case, and there was no further room for doubt, Barnet left the chamber. The blue evening smoke from Lucy's chimney had died down to an imperceptible stream, and as he walked about downstairs he murmured to himself, "'My wife was dead, and she is alive again.' It was not so with Down. After three hours' immersion his wife's body had been recovered, life, of course, being quite extinct. Barnet, on descending, went straight to his friend's house, and there learned the result. Down was helpless in his wild grief, occasionally even hysterical. Barnet said little, but finding that some guiding hand was necessary in the sorrow-stricken household, took upon him to supervise and manage, till Down should be in a state of mind to do so for himself. End of chapter 5